Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects Who Framed Roger Rabbit, one minute at a time, with special guest, Scott Carelli. All right, we are back for more of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. I am Chris Blair, and with me as always is Annie McMullen. Hello. And joining us again, the master of Movies by Minutes podcasts, of course, I'm talking about Scott Corelli. Hello, I am back. Do you prefer to be called, is it master? Or is it like godfather? Or, I, uh... I really, I'm, I'm far too humble for either of those titles. <laughs> I these, are, these, these are making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, we'll find the right title for you. Okay. Uh, Scion. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so not only has Scott uh, been the host of several Movies by Minutes podcasts, but he's also the host of the podcast theme park this podcast which goes into what would call them hypothetical theme parks mm-hmm. yeah uh, um so can i get the dirt scott what is your opinion of the ride of who framed roger rabbit uh i think that it is a it is basically a remake of mr toad's wild ride mm-hmm. with better technology and I'm fine with that. I think that the lines are way too long. I would say my biggest problem is that the line, the queue is um, very tight quarters. It's extremely claustrophobic. There's some neat stuff in it, but it's so claustrophobic that because you're like going down like a narrow alleyway and it's like literally like a single person. Like you can't even stand side by side with someone. It's a nightmare. (laughs) Uh, And there's no way out and you're just trapped. And if it's a long line, it's a nightmare. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the ride is uh, harmless and, and fine and good. I don't know. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. I like it. it, it works. <laughs> I wish we it's had a better different. Roger Rabbit ride, but it's it's fine. It is what it is. Well, th- yeah, I wish that too. Like, I think, I, I think it's it's fine for what it is, but I think there's yeah. ways to make it so much cooler. Oh yeah, absolutely. We are looking at minute eleven this week. Minute 11 begins with doors closing on Eddie, and it ends with Eddie readjusting the sign in front of his office. We get to see how Eddie actually gets around Los Angeles as he jumps on the back of the trolley with a, with a couple of kids. And I really think we get Eddie's save the cat moment here, where he grabs a kid and puts them on the trolley. I don't know how common usage save the cat is just essentially like showing like your hero do something good which i think this part is trying to establish that oh no eddie's kind of a good guy he'll he'll help a a kid ride a trolley for free yeah i think that save the cat rule i think gets um misused most of the time where they're like they like show you a pretty great person and then and then they have their save the cat moment and it was like and you're like well now you're just ultra wholesome like you didn't need that the reason that it works for eddie is because he seems like a dick up until now and then he has this little save the cat moment and you're like oh okay so there's something very endearing about this guy actually so now you know you've got me for another 20 minutes you know um that's that's the purpose of it you're not supposed to 
not supposed to be used for every single good character. <laughs> He's, he is like a hundred percent just like saltiness and whiskey. Yeah, right. Now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I but could, it's nice I, to kids, which means <laughs> that he's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, I could almost see that being like something they added on last minute, like because they were like, "Oh, Eddie is such a dick that we need something to make him look good." Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's one of the first times he smiles. Hmm. Yeah. Is this mm-hmm. minute? Because I don't think we've really seen him smile. He grimaces. He turns his mouth, the corners of his mouth up, but it's mostly to like, kind of like, uh, savor the taste of a drink or yeah. <laughs> make a mean face at someone else. And this is like the first time we see Bob Hoskins like genuinely smile as at these little kids. Right. I yeah. will say that for the first time in the eleven minutes that we've watched so far. Um, these kids to me don't feel very realistic like they're war like visually so like i i get you know i've seen oliver like i get the whole like you know old-timey street urchin thing (laughs) um i i have seen like real photos of people who have hit hard times and all that stuff and like no one ever has that much dirt on their face like (laughs) like people see their faces they know know, like it's just this it's this weird movie trope where like when you want to represent that someone's poor you rub their face with dirt in this very unnatural way and then like one of the kids shirts there's a little glimpse of it I always look at the clothing details um is like completely frayed the entire hem is just like completely frayed in this like extremely uniform way almost where it's just like fringe at this point and so to me it's like the one they're so good at details in this movie and I'm like this feels this feels weird (laughs) these little kids I also think um in general you know we have there used to be a lot of movies with these like tough street kids right um you know they're down on hard times and like they they talk like adults and and um I miss that in movies like I don't want the kids to have to be poor or like that they're working 16 hour days with child labor to to talk like that but I do miss the sort of like gangster little kids that were (laughs) in movies now we've just we've um completely traded that for like precocious innocence in every movie blanket and there's no little kids who talk like mini mobsters anymore and I think we need to bring that back I I agree uh but you know with the mini mobsters you also get the soot on their face that's that's how you get the accent yeah right they wipe it on your face Uh, they wipe the accent onto your face (laughs) so the uh, the hat that's like kind of sideways that I've never seen in real life in my entire life but it's always in um like I believe it was in the movie White Boys you know or uh it's always used to indicate like a person of uh like questionable moral standards (laughs) you wear your a baseball cap sideways like whoa backwards that's a bad boy frontwards that's the right way sideways wild card (laughs) it's so weird i'm trying to think ahead are they the only children in this movie they might be I, I can't think of any others. And for something that's marketed as a kid's movie, that's an interesting choice that there are almost no kids anywhere in it. I, I think though, like if you think about it, right? Tunes by nature have a very childlike quality and mm-hmm. you need the the gritty 
live action people yeah. to balance it. Otherwise, it's like 100% kid energy. That's true. Um, ba- baby Herman might them. be the ultimate type of this kid. Yes. Um, with the New York yes. accent. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> my Shock- short king <laughs> <laughs> yeah a shocking lack of dirt on baby herman's face by the way uh-huh. well two we by different rules yeah so. <laughs> uh, so they ask eddie why he's doing this like doesn't he have a car and he remarks that la has the best transportation system which is which is interesting like Usually in movies, I don't really like this kind of joke where it seems like, oh, this is commentary on like how things different used to be. Isn't that crazy how things are different now? Um, I feel it works here, though. I think one, because, you know, not like a lot of people are not going to get it unless you've been to L.A. (laughs) You're not going to get what a complete joke it is that L.A. has any sort of good transportation system. Yeah, let alone one of the best in the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think the the line immediately before he says they have the best uh, transportation system in the world is he says, "Who needs a car in LA?" And I think that would get. I, I think everybody will get that right. Like everybody sure. knows LA traffic is, you know, famous. That's probably yeah. what it's second most famous for. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think that is kind of, they do both of those things, right? Like, and this is why you don't need a car in LA is because they have this great transportation system. But I agree, Chris, I think like the, the other reason that this works is this is the exact moment where the kids start to pull out the cigarettes and offer him a cigarette. Um, and so you can clearly like, it's like a little thing in there to temper, like, we're not actually glamorizing this time period. Like it was dog shit. Uh, children are smoking cigarettes on the back of a trolley, but there, but there was a transportation system. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it's also, it's not just those things. It's also a setup of the plot of the Mm -hmm. highway and so it, it's very much like an act one thing. It was like, we have the best public transportation system in the world. And then the plot of the movie is about this like conspiracy with a highway. And the highway is the thing that destroys the public transport system. So it actually is like a really, it works great as a joke that you don't think about where you're just like, oh, that's really funny. And you don't realize that it's a setup for the entire plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially since like the next scene, they go right to the trolleys. It like helps set that up a lot yeah. too. Yeah. 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 It is pretty amazing, you know, when you analyze this thing minute by minute that like there really isn't anything that doesn't have a pretty a critical purpose like you know it's not a short movie it's not you know there's a lot in it it's not a slow movie and still every single line or you know sight gag or any of it has some kind of um you know pretty pretty important intent behind it it's fascinating that's how Zemeckis used to roll he doesn't so much anymore but (laughs) But He's like tired, the, Scott. He's the, tired. the back-to-back of this and Back to the Future, where oh, are, are yeah. just like like these these are two of the tightest scripts I think to ever hit Hollywood. Um, <laughs> they're both amazing, and uh, yeah, and then things start getting looser once you get into the Back to the Future sequels, and then yeah. you yeah. get to Forrest Gump, and it's I mean all bets are off at that point. <laughs> yeah, I like it, it's weird to me that Forrest Gump is the one that got all the accolades out of those three movies. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were we were talking uh last minute too a little bit about like um the time frame and and you know it aging and stuff and I do kind of frequently think like for a movie that was made in 1988 or 1986 to 88 or whatever it was took a long time um uh and is set in the 40s like it's aged surprisingly well there's not very mm -hmm. much in it that's you know hasn't aged well and I think that's pretty interesting yeah. especially considering it's a movie like in the 80s that's reflecting on the the 40s yeah <laughs> it's it's got uh you know multi multipliers of problematic times <laughs> and it <laughs> yes. still manages to be okay <laughs> it really does we cut over to the a sign saying that it's the best public transportation system and we get to see cloverleaf uh mentioned for the first time which is going to be um a big player within the movie uh i love this shot where um we go over to um we get a full view of the street the sun's hitting and we see Eddie get off the bus and thank the kids for uh, letting him borrow some cigarettes, which I think says a lot about Eddie, that he is borrowing cigarettes from kids. Yeah. Well, he hasn't cashed that check yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think showing the, the check to the liquor store guy is going to do much good. <laughs> Uh, something I also didn't notice before is in this minute, we get to see Dolores for the first time walk around in the in the background. Is that right? she, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's her. She looks over at Eddie for a second. She gets, but Eddie does not notice her. And then she heads over to the direction where the bar's at. Oh, yeah. I thought that that's an interesting choice to... Like, nobody's going to notice this is her unless they're watching this movie in <laughs> this format that they would have that level of detail in that. We see Eddie go up his building and he starts to uh, readjust a sign that says Valiant and Valiant on it. And that's where this minute ends. Not a whole lot happens in this minute. A lot of it is just Eddie character stuff and setting right. the seeds for some future plot things. I am surprised that he uh, appears to work off of Sun Sunset Boulevard, at least according to the tram. Mm. The, the tram says that it's, it's a Sunset Boulevard tram. And so if he's getting off here, then this must be some point on Sunset Boulevard, which, you know, uh, I don't know, man, if you're struggling to pay your bills maybe get an office somewhere cheaper than sunset <laughs> i got some ideas for you <laughs> <laughs> well, well i do wonder like if this eddie struggling with money is kind of a new thing if maybe in the valiant and valiant days they were doing okay and mm -hmm. maybe eddie didn't even live in his office back in those days he just mm -hmm. and Ever since that happened, you're just like, oh, I'm leaving my apartment, still paying rent payments on this office. I'm just moving in here. Yeah, yeah. The the building is pretty shabby. Like not just his, you know, his thing, but like it's pretty dirty and there's like chipped bricks and stuff. And, um, you know, that could be like a normal like this is a city <laughs> thing. Like I think probably uh, 
in New York, everything looks like this. Uh, but it, I don't know, maybe it's there to, to sort of indicate that this is an, an expensive building. Hypothetical Thursday, join in on the fun. That's right. It is now time for everyone's favorite segment of the show, Hypothetical Thursday, where we pose a question and listeners on our Facebook page who analyzed Roger Rabbit listeners give us answers and we read some of our favorites. Last week, we asked the question, who is the scariest cartoon character? Jay said, Boogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. He's already terrifying, but you unravel him and find out he's full of bugs. Agreed, uh, very scary. Michael says, Gossamer from the Looney Tunes cartoons, a big reddish guy. Darren says, the black devil from Fantasia, name is Chernabog. Yep, I know Chernabog and agreed Darren. And I stand by the fact that Chernabog is the most metal character ever made by Disney. So the question this week is, we talked a little bit about Zemeckis and how well he directed this movie. But if we had to be in an alternate universe where someone else directed Who Framed Roger Rabbit, what director would you want to say do it? No, I'm going to go with Gaspar Noah. Um, If you aren't familiar with him, he's done some very trippy, very messed up movies like Irreversible and Into the Void. But listeners, I want to know who you think. Again, you can give us an answer on Thursday. Who analyzed Roger Rabbit and listeners? My MVP are the children's cigarettes. Uh, because I think we as Americans always really love to think about the good old days and, you know, how we'd like to get back to those and what is better than a seven-year-old giving you a Lucy on the back of a trolley, (laughs) you know, so better times. Did did you say Lucy? Yeah, a Lucy, single cigarette. Oh, wow, okay. I did not know that term. You didn't? No, no. I didn't know things. A loose cigarette, Lucy? Lucy. You gotta get streetwise, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, if I want to start bumming those Lucy's off of street kids. So this has been Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. We are hosted by Dueling Genre and our guest here, Scott Corelli. Uh, Check out all their podcasts. They have many great ones on duelinggenre.com. And, you know, go over to the Patreon page uh, at Dueling Genre backslash support and we will see you on friday for minute 12 of who analyzed roger rabbit